Today's sobering question comes from a mother of a teenager who asks this. Hello, Pastor John. What would you do if your 14-year-old says she no longer wants to pray because she is no longer a Christian? She doubts the existence of God and doubts that Christianity is any better than any other religion. She considers the Bible to be true just for Christians, considers church not essential, but she has to attend and attends politely because being part of a family that values God and the things of God, that's what we do. Pastor John, as parents, how do we proceed wisely? Maybe the most helpful thing I could do is recommend a book that meant a great deal to me at one point in my own parenting when one of my children was in exactly this situation. And the book um, is called Come Back, Barbara, by John Miller and his daughter, Barbara Giuliani. Um, I think his daughter was 18 when she ran away, moved out, got involved with a guy, and wanted nothing to do with the family's faith. And the book describes what her parents felt and did. And then Barbara, who subsequently has returned, wrote responses to each of those chapters, which gives the book an unusual realism uh, for how parental efforts were coming across. And maybe the second best thing I could do is to point this mother to an article my son wrote uh, after that period of wandering, and he wrote it, and we published it at uh, DG. It's still there. I, I checked today, called 12 Ways to Love Your Wayward Child. So the things that he felt were significant while he was on his departure. Um, but here are my front burner thoughts for right now. One, realize that this is something you utterly and totally have no control over. Faith is a gift of God. I, uh, perhaps a better way to say it would be that the eyes of her heart, not just the eyes of her head, must see Jesus as true and beautiful and desirable in order to be a Christian, and only God can open those eyes. That's the point of Ephesians 1.18, 2 Corinthians 4.6, 1 Corinthians 2.13 and 14, Ephesians 2.8. God does use parents and pastors and teachers and friends to point children to Christ, but none of that pointing is decisive. God, God is decisive. It is utterly crucial that that you as a burdened parent not bear more than you should or can. That's number one. Number two, therefore, since only God can do this, prayer is absolutely essential, indispensable. And I would suggest even building into your lives periodic times of fasting for your daughter and perhaps Ask some of your friends to join you in that fast and prayer. I still do this to this very day. I still do this for critical relationships in my own family. Three, one of the most essential things to pray for is the seemingly impossible balance between brokenhearted concern for your daughter and indomitable joy in the face of, of, of this suffering, joy in grace and power and goodness of God. I, I know this sounds impossible, 
because it is humanly impossible. But nothing is impossible with God. Your daughter, indeed your own conscience, need to see that she does not have the power to nullify the hope and joy that you feel in Christ. She she does not need to feel that she has that power. That would be that would be a extremely false if she felt that. She needs to feel that she matters and that you are deeply sad at her spiritual condition, but she also needs to see the reality of what she's missing, namely your indomitable enjoyment of the grace of God, the peace of God that passes understanding, and the goodness of God and the power of God in your life. That's what she needs, and she needs to see it. That's a miracle, and only God can help you do that. Four, it is perfectly right and good um, that while she's under your roof and under your authority, she would live according to your, the rules of your house. You you can expect that of her. She should give it. But you must labor to make sure that this compliance on her part is not, emphatically not, the essence of what you are longing for. Many children think that being obedient and being compliant is what the parents really want of them, so the parents won't be embarrassed at church or among their friends, so they perform. She needs to realize that is not the main thing you care about. What you care about is the gospel of grace. You, you, you don't want to communicate to her that her behavior is the main issue. The main issue is seeing Christ as supremely valuable and enjoying his forgiveness of sins and the hope of everlasting life. So make the gospel central. Always communicate that there is hope for her future in Christ. Five, don't turn every evening into a grilling about her faith and beware of outbursts in some hostile moment when emotions are so raw. It's a terrible time to talk about anything rational about Christ. Instead, make periodic lunch dates with her on a Saturday and ask her ahead of time for permission to talk about spiritual things. She'll probably give you permission. She'll say there's no point in it, but ask her. These are like state-of-the-soul lunches. When you listen to her heart, ask the Lord to help you know what things to ask about, what things to say, especially ask about her heart, her emotions, her struggles at school and in relationships. Dig in to the core where deep decisions are being made. Number six, feed your own soul with the food of biblical truth and especially stories, biblical stories about how present sorrow and seeming hopelessness is a prelude to joy. There are so many of them. I'm thinking of Abraham and Sarah, too old to have children, hopeless, suddenly Isaac. I'm thinking of Job, lost everything, and yet he saw God and God restored his family. Joseph, languishing in 
in hopelessness in Egypt for years and years and years, and suddenly he's the Savior of Israel. Ruth, widow, poverty-stricken, picking leftovers in the barley field, not knowing tomorrow there's a husband and a child thinking all was lost. Esther, ready to be destroyed with the Jewish people. Suddenly, Haman, her arch enemies, hanging on the gallows meant from Mordecai. Or Jesus, most of all, right? Most of all, Good Friday looked like an absolutely lost cause, like your daughter. And within days, exalted to the king of the universe. I mean, that's, that's the point of the Bible, that, that the situation you're in now isn't the last word. So number seven, go ahead and have family devotions as you always have. But in general, don't put her on the spot. Everybody knows this is not artificiality. She's, she's not a full participant. That's the agreement. But she needs to see her parents loving Jesus in the word. Let those times be times in which you exalt in Christ and the gospel. Let her see your faith and your concern for larger issues in the world besides your family. Pray about Syria. Pray about the unreached peoples in the Middle East. Pray about Ebola. Pray about AIDS. Pray about the government. Let her see that Christianity is is large and ennobling. And the last thing I would say, number eight, don't despair. God loves to hear your prayers. He puts your tears in a bottle, and he pours it out with his grace in due time. That's some really wise gospel advice and uh, hope-filled words as well. Thank you, Pastor John, for speaking from your own brokenness on this topic. And we thank you for listening to the podcast. You can find our audio feeds and our episode archive, and you can reach us by email all through our online home at DesiringGod.org forward slash Ask Pastor John. Well, coming up on Friday this week here in the States, we inaugurate our 45th president, Donald Trump. And politics aside, inaugurations are moments for us to step back and be struck by the power of the office and of the weightiness of the presidency of this country. So we are going to return on Friday to talk about a theology of the kingdom in Scripture seems to be a fitting moment in time for us to step back and look at uh, what it means that Christ himself is a king and that he reigns over a kingdom. We'll talk about that on Friday, Inauguration Day. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. Thanks for listening to the Ask Pastor John podcast.